Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I want us to turn in our Bibles this morning to a passage that I hope encourages our hearts. It has mine already. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we will begin reading in verse 1. We'll read through verse 24. I somewhat doubt we'll finish the message today. We'll probably finish it next week, but I want to begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony concerning Christ, it was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift awaiting Eagerly, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by close people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each... One of you is saying, I'm a Paul, and another, oh, well, I'm of Apollos, or another, I of Cephas, that was Peter. And some are saying, well, I am of Christ. But Paul goes on to say, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Caius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the house of Stephanos. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but 
to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And then he kind of gets sarcastic again. He said, where's the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? That would be such a great question today when people argue about the truth of the Word of God and our need for salvation. Just looking around this world, who is it that would possibly stand up and defend the direction this world has chosen? Where's the one that could brag about where we're headed? My goodness, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world I'd say absolutely. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I wasn't discovered by scientists. They bragged that they've never seen me. They weren't supposed to see me because that, to see me because that wasn't the way I revealed myself. Verse 22, for indeed the Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus tells us we are the light of the world. And at the time Paul writes to the church, or the church at Corinth, there's no darker place on earth. I can tell you it was a wicked, wicked town. There's a little isthmus there, which is a piece of land strip that kind of went between two seas, and you could knock a lot of time off your journey if you would pull into Corinth and let them unload your ship, and they would pull it across logs through this little stretch of land, and it would keep you from going around the long way. It was sort of like the Panama Canal. It saved you a lot of mileage on a boat. And when the ships would come in, and the workers would begin to unload and reload and take care of the crossing, the sailors would go to town. And when I say they would go to town, I mean that figuratively as well as literally. It was a hostile place as far as God was concerned. God says men, though, they, they loved darkness because their deeds were evil. Men, they loved Corinth. As a matter of fact, it was much like the Vegas of the ancient world. And here was Corinth, the church's problem. The church's problem is they're trying to be light in this dark place. And, and Christianity to the Corinthians, it, it just seemed way too unsophisticated. And it was way too foolish uh, for especially the people that they deemed as heroes. Their superstars didn't seem to 
care much about God. They didn't seem to have very much respect for God. Sort of like in our world today, unfortunately, our kids grow up wanting to be like people who have no concern for God in their life whatsoever. As a matter of fact, if they couldn't put a ball through a hoop or throw a pass a mile long, or if they didn't have a pretty voice or whatever it is, we would not even know that they exist. Corinth was somewhat the same way. They're famous philosophers like Plutarch, he would say, and he lived during this time, he said himself that any God to try to involve him in this world to say that God came here and died for people's sins, he said it's nothing but utter foolishness. And the Corinthians were taken, they were taken in by the words of men like Plutarch. They even said Jesus is born of adultery and his divinity Well, it was disproven by his poverty and his miserable death on the cross. If he was really God, none of that would ever happen. Now, that's the advantage, by the way, of making your own gods. That's what our world does, and that's what they did. They had all kinds of gods, and if they needed an extra one, they'd just make one. And the gods would feel however they wanted them to feel and do whatever they wanted them to do. So that's where Corinth is. This church is in one of the darkest places in the world. Now Paul visits them about AD 51, and then a few years later he will write them a letter about AD 53. At least we think that's when this letter was written. We think Paul wrote four letters to Corinth. We know this is not the first in this letter. He will talk about, I wrote to you already. We don't have that letter. We think that we have the second letter... And the fourth letter, we don't have the first or the third. But he writes them this letter. Now, the reason he wrote to them is they had written to him. And they had all kinds of questions. This is enlightening. They had questions about marriage and celibacy. They had questions about food offered to idols. They had questions about worship. They had questions about spiritual gifts. But just to show you, and I'm not saying any of these things are not important, but when Paul wrote back to them to respond, it will be six chapters before he says one word about any of these things. Because he's discovered there's a bigger problem. Has a lot more, you have a lot more issues than food offered to idols. They were in the world, but he says, I am hearing that some of the world is getting into you and we need to address that and that's what he is about to do verse one says paul called as an apostle of christ by the will of god to the church of god verse two which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in christ jesus this is just him introducing himself to us right now to the church of god The ecclesia, the called out ones, that's so important. He didn't say, boy, I'm coming down there and I got me a good prostitute sailor sermon. And when I cut it loose, boy, I mean, it is going to shake that town to its core. As a matter of fact, he speaks very, very little about any of that, if any at all. It's like it's a foregone conclusion that the world lives in darkness. It does not know God. But you, Corinth, were put there to be a light in this darkness. 
And he says later to them, because in chapter 5 he will address this, he says, you've got a guy there who is living with his father's wife. Not sure how that works, but I'll have to tell you, it doesn't sound as strange to me now as it did 40 years ago. And this was his problem. He didn't say, boy, that's really bad. And, and man alive, I just can't believe somebody would do that. That was not his problem at all. Paul wrote them and told them in chapter 5, verse 6, he says, and you're boasting about it. You're, you act like it's nothing. Your boasting is not good. So here was the problem. He said, it's not that some of the world has gotten into the church. He says, my problem is that you're not doing anything about it. He says, I have already turned this guy. He said, I ain't even met him. I've already turned him over to Satan so that Satan can just destroy his body. But what he has done is wrong. But what I want to know, Paul says, is why haven't you done something about it? Why haven't you already addressed it? And it's sort of like today. They were arrogant about it. And they were tolerating it. And today, man, there's nothing will make your church more popular and your pastor more loved than to be tolerant of things that we ought to stand up against and say that this is wrong according to the Word of God and God's judgment is going to be upon it. Tolerate it. Brag about it. Oh, yeah, we got all kinds of folks that I were fellowship they believe all kinds of things we just all get together and we just we just love each other we're one big happy family no matter what sins people have decided to commit he goes on to talk about those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus and then he says this saints by calling he's still introducing himself to the church and he calls them saints now that is awfully telling because he knows they got some issues they're the probably the most fleshly church that he's ever going to write to they got tons of problems going on but he says you are saints by calling it is not of your doing it's not because of something good in you there's plenty in you that is wrong but he says because of what Jesus Christ has done and you put your faith and trust in him, even though your church is a mess, you are saints. You're not living up to that, but you're saints, not because of anything you have done, but because of the calling of Christ Jesus himself. Billy Graham once said the miracle of the gospel is not that we accept Christ, but that he accepts us. That's, that's the miracle of the gospel. Not that we would trust him. It's amazing to me when we humans and our little pea brains go around and, oh, we haven't made up our mind about God yet. And, and we, we're still looking at the evidence. We're just not sure, you know. We, we're so scientific or we're so whatever. We just, we're like the Corinthian heroes. We just, you just got too much intelligence to just, you know. Fall in that trap. You other people, you need a crutch. You're probably not well-educated. You need an emotional something to lean on. And so you've gone down this path. That's fine for you. But, you know, I went to college or whatever. Good for you. A moment of silence to honor you. My goodness. Well, being a saint's not dependent on us. But he says, you are called to be light in this dark world. you got some problems. 
But he says, don't forget what you've been called to do. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, Pastor, I'm not ever planning to go to Vegas. Maybe you would sit here and say, I live in Vegas. Maybe you'd say, my home is dark. Maybe you're the only one in your family that's ever trusted Christ as your Savior. Maybe that's the darkness that you've been assigned to shine in. Maybe I think about Rich Cox and his ministry at school and others of you have ministry similar to that. That's the darkness that God has called you into. So it doesn't just mean you have to go to the wretches of society to find lost people. They're all around us and not all of them are mean or adulterers or wicked or drunkards. Some of them are just good fine people going to hell because they don't know Jesus as their Savior. Well, I want to encourage you today. I think God wants to encourage us today. He's going to tell us three things, and I doubt we'll get to all three of them, so I'm going to go ahead and tell tell you what they are now. Paul is going to tell us, first of all, we must not become discouraged. It's not going to be easy. Some of the people you're praying for and working with, they're not going to change when they see the light. Some of them may change when they feel the heat. Some of them may not change then. I used to say that one day they'll learn. I've learned not to say that. Some people don't ever learn. Some people die and go to hell and never, ever learn. In the Revelation, it says they cried for the rocks and mountains to fall on them, but they still didn't repent. They were scared to death of God, but it still would not bring them to repentance. So you may have a situation like that you're facing. We must not become discouraged He says also he's going to teach us in the middle of this chapter we must not become divided. And then last of all, he's going to teach us about the cross. And he says you must not become distracted. Let's take a look at we must not become discouraged. In verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes scholars have said that this must have been sarcasm because of all the spiritual failings in the church at Corinth that Paul would actually have a thanksgiving section in his letter to them. He had one in every letter that he wrote except for the letter of Galatians. And in that church, they did not have any of the issues like you see at Corinth. They had a far more serious problem wherein they had taken the gospel of grace and figured that, well, adding a few works to it, being a little more serious about our faith than the neighbors are, will make us even more saved. That was such an appalling theology that would nullify the very grace of God by adding works to it. Paul, he skips the Thanksgiving section in only one letter. You'd have thought it was Corinth. No. He thanks God for them. And it's not sarcasm because people that believe he's trying to be cute about it with all the problems that they have. And here he is calling them saints and all of that and thanking God for them. Here's the part that they miss. The last part of the verse. For the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. That is why. I am a saint. That is why that I'm born again. That is why I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with God. That is why that even though 
I was a sinner that I am now counted as righteous before God and will spend all eternity with Him. It is only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. Verse 5, that in everything you were enriched in in Him, in all speech and all knowledge. Enriched is a word, plutizo is the word, uh, plutocrat, I believe that is a very rich person. I've been called a lot of things in life, but not that. It's a very rich person, it's what the word means, and this word here means somebody that is extremely rich. Now, it doesn't mean they had a lot of money, but he says, you have been enriched in him. God has given you some things. He says, in this dark hell of depravity, where you live, Corinth, where we live, Cornerstone Fellowship, God has given us some things. One, he says, he's given you both speech and knowledge. He says, you can speak the truth and you can know the truth. So you're in this darkness and they may think all kinds of things, but you know the truth. And he says, I have given it to you that you could speak the truth in this darkness as well. He didn't say I put you here or God put you here to harmonize the darkness with the light, you know, to kind of bring them together. One of those people that you just bring folks together, even though, you know, they may, one might not live for God, one might not know God or whatever. I'm not saying that we desert all of those people, but our job is to be a light in the darkness, not some little glimmer that won't offend anybody. We're to be light in the darkness. That's the opposite of darkness. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul will tell them, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with the devil? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Please don't take this the wrong way. But I feel a quickening in my soul sometimes when somebody tells me they just get along with everybody. I just, oh, I fit in everywhere. I I like everybody. Everybody likes me and we all get along. That's great in one sense. But don't let that be something that blurs out your mission to them. You are to be light in the darkness. Not to be an inoffensive friend. Oh, not to glean some emotional need you have in your own life by telling them, you know, I'm always there. And even though you're doing stuff that the Bible says is wrong, I'm not even going to blame that up, bring that up because I'm just not that kind of person. And we, we all fail, honey. That's how you say it down here. Yeah, we do. But you got a job to do. You got a job to do. Speak the truth of the gospel. Now, here's something I want to ask you about or tell us, talk about. If we don't know the truth, we can't speak the truth. That's a problem. It's a problem in our churches today. I think it was $100 million that the He Gets Us campaign paid to do a Super Bowl ad. Have you seen the commercials? 
He gets us. On its face, that sounds like it is great, but boy, all you got to do is peel back a layer or two and you'll figure out really fast that that is heresy. It's big-time heresy. Oh, he gets us, and people just go berserk over that. I want to tell you, he gets us, but we're not getting him. He is. Here's the way the whole thing frames him. And it's very subtle the way that it is done. It is like, he's, oh, he went through what, you've been ostracized. Because you've chosen to live a marginalized lifestyle or you just decided to spit in the face of what the Word of God says about sexuality or marriage or whatever. He gets you. Yeah. Oh, he went through the same thing. People treated him badly too. But they never come around to telling them that he is also a Savior for you and wants to save you from that lifestyle that has so marginalized you. So here's the thing, and we've always known it, as long as you don't make him God or Savior or say that he died for your sins, everybody loves Jesus. I came across a book. I don't remember where I saw it. It's by a lady named Catherine Sully. And I don't even know the name of the little book. But it's a children's book. Just remember Catherine Sully. You can look her up, I'm sure. It's a cartoon book that teaches children about the Bible. And one story has Jesus. This has just come out. One story has Jesus going down to the river to be baptized. And this is what she has Jesus saying. I have come to the river today to wash my sins away, said Jesus. Sounds innocent enough, does it not? Man, I know people that wouldn't even pick up on that. I hope you did. I hope you did. I hope you realize, no, no, that is not what Jesus said. He never had sin to start with, and he never said anything like that at all. But see, again, it's like that he gets us and that we get him. He's just like us. He's a hippie social justice warrior that's on our side. And when those old big mean preachers get up and say things that make you feel ostracized or put out or separated or put down or feel bad about yourself, he is there for you, honey. It's subtle. It's subtle. And and let me ask you. Let's get personal about it. I think those two would, I hope, would be easy ones for us to recognize. But just think about this. What if I told you? What just out of the blue I had not had preached what I have so far? What if I got up here today and said, now next Sunday I want you all to be here early because at the very first of the service we're going to christen a baby. We, we got a family. David, settle down. We got a family that's visiting with us. They're of the different faith, and they don't believe like we do, but they, they like our church and all, and they have a child, and they'd like for us to christen it, which means the parents are going to make a statement of faith somewhat on behalf of the child, and the child will be a little bit saved when it leaves here. Now, there'll be some other things it'll have to do, but it'll be a little bit saved, and, and even though we don't believe in that at all because the Bible doesn't teach that at all, what if I said, next Sunday we're going to christen a baby? 
I hope and pray everyone. I know some of you are looking at me like I still ain't seen what's wrong with that yet. I hope every last one of you would follow me to the office with your Bible in your hand and tell me, buddy, you need to get you a job at the convenience store. You've got no business preaching because we don't stand for that. That's not the truth of God. We know it's been done. We know the Catholics made it famous. Other denominations make it often, but it's not something that the Word of God teaches, and we do not stand for that. What if I got up one Sunday and said, hey, We've got a family going to join last week. Now, they've all but one been through the new members class. The daddy of this family is lost, and the family has asked, and I just want to tell you all so you don't say nothing, Mike, David. He's lost, but we're going to let him join with them. That way it will kind of encourage him, you know, to stay in church. How's that sound to you? I'm not asking you to raise your hand or speak out loud. You can if you want to. But be honest. How does that sound to you? We never guess, David. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, that doesn't sound so bad. Jesus was very inclusive. I think that might be good if it'll get that man in church. That's what's wrong with us. We can't speak the truth because we don't know the truth. And our job's not to blend the gospel with the non-gospel. Not at all. (laughs) Verse 6, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, the way you live your life, and I know it sounds crazy talking to Corinth, but it sounds even crazier talking to me. Some of the guys, before we prayed this morning, we were talking about Lot's wife and her turning to salt and how we had some kind of cool joke about all of that, as always. But we, we were talking about that, and somebody mentioned that Lot was called a righteous man. And every time I look at that and I think, man, alive, how in the world could he be How in the world could I be called a righteous man? Before I pick on Lot and his wife that became a condiment for a large table right outside of Sodom, how can I be called a righteous man? Same way Lot can. It's not my doing. Man, and he says, you've been a testimony to to Christ concerning Christ. Maybe some people you would have to say, well, I'm a testimony of a person who is very religious. You show signs of being religious. That's that's fine. Maybe you are confirming the only testimony you've ever confirmed. You're a decent person. You do what you say you're going to do. You treat people right. All of that, but have no relationship with God. You're a fine person. Great neighbor. All of those things. Maybe the testimony of church involvement has been confirmed in you. Boy, you are there when the doors are open and all of that. You, you rarely miss and, and all of that. And when they raise money, you always put some in the plate or whatever. But that's not what Paul is saying we must be. To reach this dark world, we must confirm the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And decency is shooting way too low, my friend. We need to let the world know, no, I don't live a perfect life, but my life has been transformed by the power of God. This world is not my focus. This place is not my home. My life has been filled with the Spirit of God. I am a totally different person than I was before. That is confirming the testimony of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 7, so that you're not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> you're not missing any gift. You, you, God has given you what you need. I think sometimes Satan takes a lot of wonderful, sweet, kind, humble people and makes them feel like you just need to be seated you have nothing to offer. Just, just come and listen. Keep your mouth shut. Let others do the teaching. Let others do the leading. Let others do all the special stuff. You just sit there and be quiet because you have nothing. Boy, that is a lie from hell. God has given you. He has gifted all of us with different things that he will empower us to do. I love the old story, as you well know, about Moses when God looked at him and he was in the middle of telling God all the things he couldn't do. I can't talk. I can't lead. I can't this. I can't that. And God said, what is that in your hand? Well, it's a stick. <laughs> I heard the sheep with it. Really? Throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground. You remember what happened, don't you? God turned it into a serpent. Now we know we're about to have some church here, buddy. Some at Tennessee church. Because God told him, he says, pick it up. I know Moses must have been thinking, God, you may not be from around here, but we don't do that a lot. He said, pick it up. And he picked it up. What is in your hand? And later he would take that same stick. Throw it down in Pharaoh's court, it turned into a serpent, and the serpent that he made would take all the serpents Pharaoh's magicians made, and it would devour all of them. One day he would hold that stick out over the Red Sea, and it would open up right down the middle. And another time he would take an old dry, dusty, crusty rock and use that same stick to bring water out of that rock. So stop telling God all the things that you don't have and let him have what you do have and just watch what he can do with it. Oh yeah. It's a sad testimony for the church that we've almost turned it into a talent agency. Really. Yeah, one of the things I grew up hearing, oh, so-and-so can pray the prettiest prayer. See, we even made a competition out of that. Sometimes we like to hear somebody pray. What is a pretty prayer? That's what I want to know. Oh, that, oh the way he prays. Man alive. Do you think God is as impressed with that as you are? The singing, the praying, the teaching, the whatever. We have turned it into a us versus them. There's a few that get to do whatever and a, a bunch of others that think they can't do anything. I want to tell you something, friend. We have got to get past that. Let God have the other end of that stick and watch him do something 
awesome in your life. In verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to have to remember these things, Paul says. You're going to grow, grow weary trying to reach people that's going to laugh at you and mock you, ignore you, family members that are going to ostracize you, people that may never speak to you again, jobs you may lose, whatever may happen in your life because of you being this light in the darkness. He says you're going to have to hang on to a few truths with all you've got. And one of them is you just always know Christ has already confirmed you to the end. You're not going to lose your salvation. And you're going to be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sang about that earlier today. I want to just tell you, though, a little bit about the word confirm. I don't want to nerd out on you here, but man, in the tense that it is in the Greek and just the meaning of the word, it's a future active, which means it happens now or has already happened and it will continue throughout all of the future, like the word tetelestai, which means it is finished. This is a word with that double front end syllable on it, babiosai. Babiosai, that babai, you had to get, get that in there. That double beginning for the word. It just All I'm saying to you is it means that you're saved and you're going to be saved tomorrow and you're going to be saved next month and you're going to be saved throughout all eternity and that is never, ever going to change. Amen. So I want to stand here and tell you this morning, I am confirmed. I didn't go through confirmation. I missed that class. I've been confirmed by Jesus Christ. He confirmed me. I, I want to give you some other meanings of this word from Strong's Dictionary. Ratified. I didn't know I'd been ratified. That was like when the Constitution of the United States was accepted. It became the law. This is ours. We own it. I've been ratified. God says that He owns me. I belong to Him. He is approved of me, not because of me. Christ did this. I am secured. I am secured. I am, another word, I am established. I am founded. Man, why isn't somebody saying amen? I am approved. I am completed. I am accepted. Could you imagine me preaching that in a black church? It'd take 20 minutes for everybody to find their seat again. We just kind of sitting here. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word there. Man. And if you put it in passive voice, I wasn't going to do this to you, but you didn't amen, so I'm, I'm going to get on you. If you put it in passive voice, it means I have been guaranteed. I come with a warranty. Because God guarantees all his work. You, you know, you usually ask for the guarantee when you realize, baby, looks like it's got a lot of miles on it. 
was kind of rough, dent over here, rust over there. Hmm, you going to warranty this thing? Oh, I know, you, wanted, you had to ask. Look at me. I got all kind of shortcomings in my life. Boy, half the time I don't even know what's going on. Let me tell you something. I cried out to God this morning, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, forgive me where I have failed you. My heart came under such deep conviction when I went back over these notes. I was like, my goodness, God, how can you even use me today? I can tell you, 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 you'd you'd be wise to ask. You know, I don't know. Is there a guarantee that comes with that bucket of bolts? Yes, sir, buddy. The word confirmed. Christ stands behind it. Because he stood for me. My goodness. Wow, praise the Lord. And in verse 9. Is all this because I'm so faithful? And I preach. And I do my little Bible study. No. Verse 9, better read it. God is faithful. Hallelujah. Whew. God's faithful. How, how is it I'm going to be safe forever? God's faithful. How is it I can never lose my salvation? God is faithful. Through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Christ, or Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how we know we are going to make it. It's all done through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, He brought us into a relationship with, with God. We were called into fellowship. We had no fellowship with Jesus. Sinners were lost and on their way to hell. Matter of fact, a great passage, and we looked at it Wednesday night, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off. Who is He talking about that was far off? Gentiles. Gentiles. He says, you who were far off. The Jews had a covenant they couldn't keep. You didn't even have one. You were hopeless. He says, you who were far off, but now like that. But now. You know something good's coming. And Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. It is in Christ that peace has been made between us and God and between us and each other. He is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. It separated us from those who had a covenant. It separated us from God. By abolishing in His flesh the hatred, the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances... All of that stuff that just pounded you in the earth and just made you feel like garbage and a failure that you could never keep or overcome. So that in himself, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. I'm going to close here today. We'll pick up next week, I think. I've never known our country. Now, I know we've talked about being divided from God, but I've never known our country to be so divided from each other. 
I, I grew up, I was born in 1960. I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. I saw a lot of things, but man, and saw a lot of racism, a lot of hatred. Grew up in the midst of all of that in the South. But I'm going to tell you, our world right now is so, so divided. Wow. And, and it's, it's, it's crazy how we approach this. Now, the world uh, obviously has no clue. The, the world is trying to bring everybody together by embracing the unrealistic. Oh, you say you're a woman. Nice beard. Really? Honoring people. I, I, I get so upset. Some of you English teachers in here, I, I know you're probably on medication for it right now. When the subject is singular... But the pronoun is there. That's plural. Okay? It's got to be him or her or his or her. Oh, but we just slick right by that. I, I, uh, no. Because hmm. one, when I used to help kids write papers in college, it, when I was younger and we had a lot of kids in college in our church, man, boy, I just beat them half to death for that. But in our, it, it is just so amazing. So many different things nowadays divides us. So many different groups. I mean, in the 60s, we had really a ton of problems with racism. But do you know we were so backwards in the 60s? I hate to admit this. Don't laugh at me. We only had two genders. That was it. We're so divided today. I don't want to make fun of that, but I'm just telling you. People have wondered in churches sometimes, what was so bad about critical race theory? Well, a, a lot of things, but there were some good things it addressed, but at its core, it was bad. And, and the reason was, we're not divided by skin. We're, we're divided by sin. That is our problem. That is our problem. And we're seeing that kind of play out today. You know, you don't hear a lot about it anymore because people of the same color are hating each other now because you say this about you and I say this about me and some of it is whacked out, unrealistic, unscientific, unscientific, uh, absolutely biologically impossible or whatever. But man, we are so divided in this world and we are demanding that we be recognized for whatever we want to think or however we want to feel. And I'll say this. Me paying for something that I didn't do to people that's never experienced it is not going to fix it. What will fix it is the fact that Jesus paid for something he didn't do. And that's sin. And that is our problem. That is our problem. Man, we need salvation, not social justice. We, 
we need to be born again. We need our lives transformed. Men, we talked about it Wednesday night, but Galatians 3.28 clears all of this up. says there is neither. And he's talking about when you, when you come to Christ, there's something that transcends race, sexuality, all of that. All of that. Social status. This is what will fix it. Not social justification, but no, he says, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Those two couldn't be further apart. And don't ever tell that lie that Paul was condoning slavery because he was not. He was simply saying that if whether you're a slave or whether you're a slave master in Christ Jesus, you both have the same status. He transcends all of that. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Uh-oh, we'll close with that one. Heirs according to the promise. Now, how is it I am the descendant of a Semite who lived 4,000 years ago. Did I find out on Ancestry.com? If it's true, my daughter will before it's over with. Every time she calls and says, hey, guess who we're kin to? I'll just draw up. Oh, Lord. But God made a promise to Abraham. And he says, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're heirs of that promise. You know what the promise was? When he was 75 years old, God told him to leave his home, go 600 miles to a brand new place he had never been. And when Abraham did that, God looked at him at the age of 75 and said, you have believed me. You trusted me. They didn't have a statue of me in Ur of Chaldees. That's where he was from. That was pagan city, buddy. He said, but you believe me. And he said, that is going to count for you as righteousness. Let me paraphrase. In about 550, 600 years, the law will come along. You can read all of this in Galatians 3. The law will come along. But it will not nullify or emphasize the promise I've made to you, Abraham. As a matter of fact, he believed God and was counted as righteous because of his faith when he was 75. If you think his Jewishness had anything to do with it, he wasn't circumcised until he was 99. God said, I made a promise to Abraham. And he said, if you... And this is what we have to tell those that we find in the dark, friend. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross and let Him forgive you of your sins, you don't deserve it. I know you don't. You don't deserve it. None of us do. But if you will believe, believe like Abraham did and put your faith in Jesus Christ, then the promise is that can be counted.
for us is righteousness. Or you can just keep trying to do it on your own. You will never get there. Never get there. Maybe this business for you, maybe the reason you have it already, sit down with a pastor, elder, and by the way, we have some that are in the room in the back on the left. They have their wives with them. They will have in just a few minutes. If any of you would like to pray with a pastor, you're welcome to do that. You can slip out anytime. But, but let me just tell you this. We have to be willing to tell people the truth. And maybe you're sitting here and the reason you haven't already walked the aisle you know, I know sometimes it's kind of weird to me. People come to church, they're faithful. And then when we get to that part about joining the church, you know what the one hiccup seems to be? Giving that testimony. Uh, it's almost like somebody asked for your paperwork, didn't it? You have your papers? Because you're going to have to tell somebody. How you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not where you went to church. Not how you got baptized in the river when it was 25 below zero by Kelvin's thermometer. No. You're going to have to tell somebody how you accepted Christ. Trusted Him. And some people can't give that testimony, I'm afraid, because they don't have that testimony. Man, quit just hanging out. Get right with God. Get right with God. Oh, man, trust in Him today. A promise that was made to a man 4,000 years ago can be yours right now. Trust in Him. Tell the Lord you want to be born again. Tell Him you want Him to be your Savior. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Tell him right now that you want his death to pay for your sin. You hear that little voice telling you that you ought to wait or you're not worthy or you're too bad, too far gone. You ask one time, you didn't keep up your end of it. You hearing all that? Yeah, that's the devil. Just tell him to go on back to hell where he came from. Listen to that other voice right now. It's telling you how much he loves you. And that he died for you. Ask him into your heart and life. And for the rest of us, let me say this. It's going to get tough, and it's going to get tougher before it gets better. But we're going to have to make sure we don't get discouraged as we try to be light in this darkness. It's going to get worse. But that's all right. This is not my home. And it's not yours if you put your faith in Christ. We're here to shine a light in this darkness. And one day our Father will come and take us home. So it's okay, just don't get discouraged. Lord, I pray right now for a moving of your spirit. Please help us, God. 
Help us, Father, right now to experience a revival in our church, in my life, in the lives of the people here, God. Help us, Lord, to understand and know our place, that we're not here to to try to harmonize, God, with this sin-cursed world. But, Lord, that we're here to be a light, glaring, directing, illuminating light of truth in this sin-darkened world. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.